You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight we are looking at the 2022 Japanese film Shin Ultraman, which will be released in the United States in July of 2023 on Blu-ray. So this release should be timed pretty well with that. So, but if you haven't seen it, I warn you, there will be spoilers. So that's de rigueur for this podcast, right? I mean, we just, you're doing a podcast on something, then it's going to be spoilery. I extend yep. that warning to the series of Ultraman itself <laughs> as well. We may just touch on some things in the original series, which we've never, which we've never talked about or covered. So true. I just point that out. All right. Let's start with a synopsis, which I'm going to tell you. I also wrote this synopsis about the day after I saw this movie in the theaters months ago. <laughs> and, uh, I haven't actually, I, even though I've watched the film since then, I haven't actually read my summary since then. So uh, I like to keep it fresh. This one is, um, hope it's right. Here we go. <laughs> In the 21st century, Japan has begun to come under attack by giant monsters, or kaiju. Six kaiju have appeared so far, and in each case, the creatures were either defeated or departed. During this time, the SSSP was created, a special team dedicated to developing strategies and weapons to fight the kaiju. As the movie begins, the seventh monster, Naronga, an electricity-eating monster with the power of invisibility, attacks. While the SSSP struggle to find an effective strategy against the rampaging kaiju, a child is spotted in the monster's path. SSSP agent Kaminaga rushes to get the child to safety. From space, an incoming object smashes into the earth near Naronga. Rising from the crash site is a giant, silver humanoid. Confronting Naronga, the giant shrugs off Naronga's beam attack. Then, with an incredibly powerful energy beam of its own, the giant destroys Naronga and flies off. Tasked with learning more about this giant, officially designated Extraterrestrial Entity 1, but popularly dubbed Ultraman, and assessing if he is a friend or foe, the SSSP brings on a new team member, Hiroko Asami a young woman formerly from the intelligence services. She is partnered with Kaminaga, also formerly of some branch of intelligence. Kaminaga is largely indifferent to her. The eighth kaiju, dubbed Gabora, appears. The SSSP notes that monsters 6, 7, and 8, Pagos, Naronga, and Gabora, appear to be the same basic body plan with specialized modifications, as if they were engineered biological weapons. Gabora is a radioactive subterranean boring monster, the kind that bores, not one that puts you to sleep, that seems drawn to radiation. It is making a beeline towards a nuclear waste dump. The SSSP's efforts are hampered by the fact that if they blow up Gabora, it will spread radioactive waste everywhere. All their efforts fail, including calling in the U.S. military for a little transactional military assistance. Kaminaga slips away from the team and transforms into Ultraman, 
now red and silver. He battles Gabora. Asami notices that Ultraman avoids using his beam weapon, as if he understands the danger of exploding Gabor. Instead, he endures Gabor's beam attacks, turning from red to green in the process, until he can get close enough to kill the monster with a physical blow. He then picks up the radioactive corpse and flies it into space, disappearing again. The SSSP is now convinced that Ultraman is on their side in the fight against the kaiju. Asami is increasingly curious about Kaminaga's repeated absences from work, but her investigation doesn't get very far when extraterrestrial entity number two appears. He is Zarab, and he's come to warn Earth about Ultraman and to provide technical help and assistance. The government of Japan is quick to secure an agreement before other powers, such as the U.S., try to take over. Zarab is, of course, actually evil and wishes to destroy the human race. He causes it to be known that Kaminaga is actually bonded with Ultraman. And then he kidnaps Kaminaga and imprisons him. He had hoped to obtain his beta capsule, but it is nowhere to be found. Zarab impersonates Ultraman and attacks the humans. Then he submits a plan to help the humans destroy Ultraman. Kaminaga was one step ahead and sent the beta capsule to Asami, trusting her to rescue him, which she does. Freed, Kaminaga transforms into Ultraman, battles, and destroys the fake Ultraman over Tokyo. After the battle, Kaminaga goes back into hiding, but Asami goes missing too. She turns up, most unexpectedly, as an Ultraman-sized Asami wandering the streets of Tokyo in a trance. She smashes a building, then falls onto the street and sleeps. Alien Mephilus appears, claiming to be Alien Entity Zero, since he's been on Earth since before Ultraman's arrival. He demonstrates the Beta Box, a larger, more primitive version of Ultraman's Beta Capsule. He has used this device to transform Asami into an indestructible weapon. He reverts her to normal and quickly secures a deal with the Japanese government for the technology. With this deal, he essentially owns the planet. He tries to reason with Kaminaga, whom the JSDF is still hunting. The people of the Planet of Light have a code of non-interference, and since the people of Earth willingly signed over their sovereignty, he cannot interfere. But Bephilus used the kaiju to scare the humans, making the human part of Kaminaga angry enough to break the Planet of Light's law and battle Bephilus, if need be. With the help of the SSSP, Ultraman prevents Earth from taking possession of the beta box, and a battle between Ultraman and Mephilus begins. It's looking like Ultraman is going to lose when Mephilus spies another Ultra in the distance. He immediately gives up, takes his beta box, and leaves, saying, the Earth is no longer worth it. The Ultra is Zophi, freshly arrived from the Planet of Light. Ultraman has broken the law, and upon inspection of the planet, Zophi has activated the ultimate weapon, Zeton, which will destroy the Earth and its entire solar system. Ultraman chooses to stay and battle Zeton. Zeton is a giant space platform weapon, and Ultraman is no match for it, even though it is still unfinished. Unconscious and in hospital, Kaminaga has left behind math homework for the physics nerd on the SSSP. With this information, and combined with the top brains of the world, they devise a strategy to defeat Zeton. Ultraman must attack Zeton, double-click his beta capsule, then punch Zeton into a parallel universe. Easier said than done? Not really, although Ultraman is sucked into the parallel universe. Zofia arrives to rescue him and take him back to the Planet of Light. Instead, he asks that Sophie separate him and Kaminaga, sacrificing his life so that Kaminaga may live. Kaminaga awakes 
with his friends from the SSP surrounding him. The end. So, Ultraman, by the guy who brought you Shin Godzilla, and I guess Neon Evangelion, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Yeah. So, uh, what, uh, I know you didn't get to see it in the theater. Um, right. What did you, uh, what did you think? Well, um, I, I think I enjoyed uh, Shin Godzilla a little bit more just because I've had more uh, exposure to Godzilla throughout my life. And I know who Ultraman is. I know his basic backstory. And I've watched enough Ultra Q right. to uh, kind of know the, the history behind the history. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a pretty good film. I mean, you know, this is a, uh, a, a great, uh, I want to say, retelling of the the Ultraman, yeah, kind of, yeah, the uh, origin story because it's you know modern day, but uh, but yeah, it was good. It, it definitely you watch this, and it's like you know I like this Ultraman, gentlemen. I want to I want to learn more, <laughs> and then you might go out look at a couple of the hundreds of episodes of the old <laughs> Ultraman series, thousands, <laughs> thousands. Okay, yeah, no, it's not thousands, but it is definitely hundreds. Yeah. It actually might be on to a thousand at least. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Come to think of it, the yeah, oldest I, series had fifty a piece, and there's at least you know that's a hundred every every two years, and uh-huh. there's at least twenty years of them. So yeah, yep. yeah, it's it's probably a thousand of the various forms over the years. I, I'm gonna second the thing you said. This is not as good. It, it's not just because I'm more familiar with Godzilla because I'm I don't know that I am more familiar with Godzilla at this point. This is not as good a film as Shin Godzilla. It it Shin Godzilla is telling you something, right? I mean, it, it is it is clearly a pointed tale about the Fukushima nuclear disaster and the uh, and the earthquake that brought it about. Yeah, and the government. This is also trying to tell us something about government, but it just really isn't as impactful. Yeah, it's it's not. It's not a different story about the government. It's kind of the same old one of, you know, that they're going to do what they want to do pretty much. They, and, they've uh, got to make agreements and, you know, they got to sneak those agreements in before somebody else gets an agreement because Japan is just a vassal state, as they call it. Yes. In, in one place. Yeah. And you, you take that and there is this, you know, if you watch, if you watch Ultraman, which is actually not fifty some. I think it's thirty six. If I'm, if my memory serves me right, thirty nine. It's thirty nine. So I, my memory didn't serve me right. Anyway, you know, each episode, by and large, is a battle with a monster. Yep. This is what five, four or five yeah. battles with monsters. Oh, and it's we'll count five. Yeah, one not? <laughs> yeah, you've you've got uh, you've got Naronga. Mm-hmm. Abora, Zarab, Mephilus, and Zeton. Yep. In in the course of this. And it feels like we've sort of strung together multiple episodes of Ultraman instead of one cohesive narrative. They've they've tried to kind of make it like, oh, Mephilus was actually doing the thing with the monsters, and but it just doesn't feel as cohesive as the Shin Godzilla film. Despite the fact that, looking back at in retrospect, Shin Godzilla, by taking Godzilla and having him in form A, form B, form C, in multiple appearances, you do still kind of have that roller coaster film structure. 
it just works better there to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think in Shin Godzilla, the, the fact that you don't have the, the monster talking, uh, you yeah. know, it's still this kind of, I wouldn't and say it, mysterious, but there's unknown things about it mm-hmm. for a longer period of time than, than, uh, Ultraman. And then in Ultraman, you know, you kind of find out who Ultraman is early-ish, you know, mid-movie. Mid-movie, you know. Yeah. And then it's it's more, uh, you know, aliens trying to snooker the backwards uh, Earthling. Earthling, yeah. Into uh, signing over the, the lease on their house. <laughs> oh, and them. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I, I, I put together a list here. We'll just hit because, you know, we have done Ultra Q. Um, the the opening montage of this show starts off with the, you'll recall the classic swirly Ultra Q <laughs> yes. opening. Okay. What I don't know you may or may not know is that because Ultraman followed directly on Ultra Q, every episode of Ultraman actually starts with the swirly Ultra Q. Ah, in color. Okay, yeah, nice. But it it's and it actually says Ultra Q. It does not say Ultraman. It okay. They just kept that piece, and then they then they bounce into the Ultraman theme. So this one rolls up with the Ultra Q opening with the words Shin Godzilla on it, which is just weird. But as I think he said, he was doing it for the same reason as an homage to the. Ultra Q entry into the Ultraman series. Okay, it's, I get it's it. To show its lineage from the previous. So they they start with a montage of monsters that have invaded Japan, starting with Gomez, yeah. which we saw Ultra Q episode one defeat Gomez. Isn't it? True story. Gomez was because uh, Eiji Tsuburaya had his. Uh, had his workshop and, and all work with, with Toho Studios, Tsuburaya Productions had access to all the kaiju costumes that Toho movies had. So they would repurpose them. Gomez mm-hmm. was Godzilla. We you know we mentioned that during the yeah. podcast. This Gomez is Shin yeah. Godzilla's digital model, repurposed uh, intentionally. Oh, uh, okay. For <laughs> because they're nerds. These guys are yeah. nerds, okay? <laughs> and more power to them. Oh, yeah. They redid the Mammoth Flower, episode four of Ultra Q. Again, just sort of a picture. Yeah, it, the One thing that is different, Gomez was not defeated by the military in Ultra Q, but in this, they were defeated by the JD, JDSF. JSDF. Chin, some, yeah. JSDF. Yeah, JSDF. And um, Mammoth Flower, basically the same thing. Then... Pegula, which episode was actually in episode uh, five and then a later one, which I don't have written down here, which Pegula is here in Tokyo Ice Age. He was yeah, in two Tokyo different episodes. episodes, right? Yeah. And again, some scientists uh, defeated them. I don't, really wasn't a scientist. It, it was somebody who ran out to get some Pegulum H from some guys <laughs> in the woods. But yeah, okay. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. The fourth one we saw was Lara. Laragus. I'm not even going to try that pronunciation. I got it written down. I'm sure it's spelled right, but it's Laragus. Uh, from episode 12 of Ultra Q, I saw a bird. Man. And in that one, they mentioned that it just flew off, which is exactly what happened in the Ultra Q episode. They don't know what happened to it. It just left. It just left. 
fifth monster, Golga, uh, or Kegel, depending on what you want to call it, from episode 24 of Ultra Q, Idol of Golga. That was the big, weird, stale thing. Oh, yes. And the last one we don't see, well, we see pictures of all of them and maybe a little bit of animation and stuff that they did. The last one we don't see is uh, Underground Kaiju uh, Pagos, which is from Ultra Q episode 18, Rainbow's Egg, um, which was the big nuclear monster going after the atomic mommy thingy, uh, which apparently in this version, they blew up and spread radioactive waste all over <laughs> yeah, the place. It's like they did what they shouldn't have done. Oh, well. What are Whoops, they going to well, you You're fighting monsters. You got to think. But it's it's interesting yeah. that, that the ones that we see in preface are all ultra cute. Isn't it? So then the very first one we see in this show is Naronga, which is from episode three of Ultraman, Science Special Search Party Move Out. Great title. Uh, yes. And then... Gabora, which is from episode nine, Lightning Operations. Now, here is the thing. In rebuilding those costumes, they built the costume for Pagos. They repurposed it for Ultraman for Naronga, and then they repurposed that for Gabora in the actual production, which is exactly (laughs) what they did here intentionally because they're nerds. Wow. And they even break it up. It's like, look, it's the same body plan. It's like it's the same creature. It's just been modified. It's like, yeah, it yeah. is. And they, yep. they are they are having a laugh with that one. And I <laughs> I absolutely appreciate uh the, oh, definitely at that level. Um the the four aliens, Sarab, is from Ultraman episode 18, Brother from Another Planet, which he came to Earth, saved the Earth from a what turned out to be something he had manufactured himself Oops. and then tried to convince uh, the officials to that Ultraman was evil and for him to defeat them. And also he appeared as Ultraman to try to make him. So Zarab was the evil Ultraman episode. Mephilus is from episode 33, uh, forbidden the forbidden words in which he tried to get a young boy to agree to give him the planet Earth because that's a binding contract. <laughs> of course yeah so uh, but kind of the same idea and part of his plan involved turning agent Fuji into a giant wandering around the streets of wow. Tokyo so pretty much they just kind of snipped pieces here and there out of the, uh, the ultimate yeah. history and just made a movie around it okay why not and then and Zeton is the creature that killed Ultraman in the final episode, uh, episode 39, that was your spoilers, folks. And uh, oh no. Uh, and Zophie was there too to bring him back to life and split him from uh, Hayata in the original series, which is weird. All of the names are different. They, they didn't go with anybody <clears throat> from the original SSSFP. P. Yeah. Too many S's in that. Well, there's way too many of us, which was just Science Patrol. In yeah. the original. I forgot what it is here. It's S-Class Monster Special Secret. Yeah, it's like, oh, wow, you lost me there. Thanks. Yeah, that's a bad name. So, yeah, this is definitely, we've taken the series and he's picked various points along the way. And I think, you know, uh, I think those are really the memory. He's picked the three monsters because there's a funny joke there. 
about the three monsters being the same. Uh-huh. It's it's clever. I think the fight with evil Ultraman with Zara is one of the highlights, and everybody remembers Giant Fuji episode. So oh, yeah, yeah, and of course Zeton the final battle, which is was actually just a monster, not a giant space weapon platform, but it right. did have flashy lights. Going, Ooh, and it, all, nice and it always said Zeton. <laughs> it does all the time. <laughs> so wow, it, it really went with it. The nerd cred here is is high with these guys. Serious, uh, serious fan service too. Uh, the the people who are familiar with Ultraman. If if you are a fan of Ultraman, this is a must see movie because you will enjoy all of the little subtle jokes and stuff that uh, yeah. joke, like the the three monsters being the same. Yeah, yeah. Which you- makes me wonder how accessible it is i mean you have a you have a half entry into it with ultra q and you've uh-huh. seen other ultraman series uh along the way not necessarily that particular one but you know it, it's it seems to kind of ping pong around an illogical collection of things just so that it can hit those yeah those points yeah now that you you mention all that it does have kind of a feeling of you know, a half dozen cool ideas, and it, somebody says, "You know what? By Monday, I will have a script." Yeah. And he just kind of, you know, took those those uh, those those note cards and stuck them together. And really, the I don't know they they kind of seem to be um, poorly stacked atop another. That they yeah yeah there could be some more crafting. Maybe uh, once or twice through the editor might might help. I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 really hard to tell. I mean, he did make some effort to try to make a through line, but I don't know that it worked. And you know, the type of show that it is, it, it's uh, the monster formulaic. of the week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very formulaic. Now, if you're familiar with the, the Ultraman mythos, call it that, then you should be able to watch this movie with little or no effort. You know, you won't be able to. You won't be confused as to what's going on. It'll be very familiar to you because essentially you've seen it, but it looks great. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if you want to segue into the, the how it looks, but the, uh, to me, it was, I thought the, the visual effects in it were, were fantastic. Very comic bookish in many places, very kind of exaggerated angles and stuff. I liked it. I I um, am not crazy about the CGI Ultraman. Oh. And he, he looks... Kind of cartoonish, but yeah, it worked for me. He he kind of I mean it's it's good CGI. I'm not it's just some of the shots, well, all of the shots, he doesn't look like he could stand on those ankles. <laughs> you know, that that's what it is. It's like he's just uh, doesn't quite look thick enough. I mean, he's an alien, fine. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe he doesn't have to look like us. But, you know, I'm used to Ultraman being a guy in a suit. Right, right. They could kind of exaggerate the features a little bit with this. What I would like to know, and, and maybe there'll be stuff on the uh, the Blu-rays when they, when they come out. We're, we're recording this a month before the release on uh, Blu-ray. I, I want to know if those sets were models. Because... If they weren't, they did a brilliant job of making them look like they were miniatures. 
Oh, you mean like of Tokyo and stuff? Uh, no, like, say, the nuclear storage facility battle. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, that, I, I, I'm glad you, you brought that up. That really, really reminded me of Ultra Q. I mean, granted, it's in Isn't color. It? But yes, that looked great. Uh, I would almost say that they they built a physical model and, and then ran the CGI Ultraman through it. it. Exactly. Yeah. I it don't looked, know. Yeah, I I don't know. It looked it looked it looked very fitting. I wouldn't say it was 100% realistic, but right. it looked very fitting for the the story that they were telling. Yeah. So all of that good uh much like Shin Godzilla there's an awful lot of weird camera angles. Yeah, I, I like those. I, I it, with one exception, which with one exception well, it's multiple shots, but it's it's the shots of um uh uh I can't think of her name. See, I want to call her Fuji because she should be Fuji. Uh Emiko, but I don't think that's right. No, it's not. It's uh Asami. Hiroku Hisami. Yep. There we go. We'll call her we'll call her Asami. It's like when we first see her, she's walking down the street, back shot over the ear shot, butt shot, you know, passing through crowds, listening to people, walks into the room, bust shot, sits at a table, under the desk at her butt shot. Yeah. Was, okay. You know, hmm. And no face. And then when she finally speaks, I don't know, is this a superstar in Japan? Because I feel like I was built up for this being, you know, God. Oh my God! I can't believe you got her to be in this film, right? But yeah. it's nothing. It's just hi, I'm Asami. <laughs> but throughout the rest of the film, I mean, there's her constantly feeling her own butt. There's, that was weird. That was weird. There were quite a few other shots where they were clearly focusing not on her but on her body. They were definitely sexualizing her. And, of course, when she turns giant oh, yeah. and you're, she's walking over people, I don't know how closely you were paying attention to all the stuff the that was on clips. social media. Yeah. A lot of them were blurred out because... They had like a little... They uh, were up the gear. skirt shots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, people geez, who really? Uh, yeah. Uh, you went for realism like this? Oh, please. Well, yeah, you know, let's face it, that is what would have happened in Japan. Uh, of course, but, but still. Here, too, I take that. Nope, that's not a discouragement, but, you know, that is definitely what would have happened. Well, once again, I think this was a didn't movie like, made for the fans. <laughs> didn't like that aspect of it, because she really is fine, but she's attractive, but it just didn't seem to have a point in this film. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, so, and of course, that's all done with some weird camera angles. Yeah, <laughs> the one shot up through the through the uh, bag of chips. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, that was that was interesting. There's an awful lot of shots across the USS Enterprise. Oh, I like that. Yeah, the the computer nerd had all sorts of cool toys at his desk. He did, but the Enterprise is the one that they kept coming back to. Well, you know, it's a classic. Can't no, I think that. there's a point. I think there's a point to it. Really? What is this? Uh -huh. 
what was the law of the uh, what's the law oh, of the well, aliens? Yeah. Land of the light, yeah. non-interference yeah. directive. Yeah, yeah, like, Mr. Mr. Oh, Prime Directive. Yeah, I although you know I'm going to go you know you know me in the Prime Directive, but I th- I think I think that Zophie's interpretation of it, which is oh well you know we're not going to do anything with these people, but oh let's blow them up. Yeah. Oh yeah, they will be missed. If really the way to do that, I I can't picture Captain Kirk or even Captain Picard doing that. No, Cisco, sure, yeah, but well, you want to play baseball with them first. <laughs> yeah, yeah that that part of the that part was a little yeah on the nose. But yeah, all right. <laughs> Here's a couple things that are also nerd uh, nerd points. The original concept artwork for Ultraman was that he would be silver, as in reflective silver. Oh, like chromed. Ooh, they couldn't do it. No, the, they no, but horrible. this one is. This one is. They have made him reflective to a point. I mean, yeah, not as not much like, as a mirror, but yeah, but not like a mirror. He's he's got like a a. Uh, Somewhat reflective satin finish to it. <laughs> yeah, it's and of course he loses that when he turns red. So in mm. other words, he's got a two tone silver. The in the first sequence, the the part that ultimately becomes red is more mirrored than the other. Oh, silver. okay, all right. Well, it's like a two tone silver. And he loses that, which you could argue is oh well, we transformed from silver to red in the development of Ultraman. Also. He didn't have a color timer when they first developed the idea. Well, so, you know, I mean, what would Ultraman be without bing bong, bing bong, bing bong? True, yeah, exactly. Which you do not get in this show because he just changes to green. All right. I, I Yeah, I think that's, well, I mean, you have to have some, some sort of indicator on there. And I guess they didn't want to go with the, the blinking light. So, okay, I'll cut him slack for that. I will then. How come Zophie was already uh, blue or whatever color he was? Uh, green. Yeah, I, that I don't know. Maybe because that's like the 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 standby mode. Uh, I'm grasping at straws here. Yeah, I, I don't know. We're just guessing now at this point. Yeah, I'm just yeah. guessing, just making stuff up. Let's see. And then I have a series of uh, um, miscellaneous notes. Uh huh. Let's see. This film was made in 2022, and yet when they go out to the military encampment, they have a they have a case full of hard drives. Well, you know, it's uh, I mean spinny platter hard drives. <laughs> you know how difficult it is to get a purchase order pushed through in Japan. It takes years. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I do really appreciate that whole bit about the apparently the U.S. military. If you call the U.S. military and say, would you bomb our country and we'll pay you, they are there. Oh, heck yeah. What? We get to bring out the stealth bombers and the, the ground busters and you'll pay us? Yeah, we'll be there. Ordinance on demand. Yes, that's. Yeah. Be that's there within 30 more. minutes or your money back. <laughs> Results not guaranteed. So but, do, uh, well, yeah. you know, we just drop the stuff. We don't uh, tell you what's going to happen with it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I did notice that there's a, a, a bit of pointed uh, 
uh, point of remarks about the U.S. military in, in this movie and in, in uh, Shin Godzilla. So, yeah, I wonder if yeah, that's, that's a theme with other stuff. Hmm. That, that, is, that is definitely part of that whole Japan should be standing on their own, but instead we're we're enslaved to the Americans. Yeah. Which, you know, it's kind of hard as an American not to 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 see that, but I can see where they get that notion. Yeah. Yep. You know, you're you're our friend as long as we can push you around. And uh and I you know, I don't think and I'm not saying that I don't think that our friendship with Japan is false or you know anything yeah, like that. that it's I, just there is a transactional nature to our uh our foreign policy. Oh yeah, yeah. And plus I think that there are some people that still remember what Japan was like before World War Two. Mention the, the wars, war. In the wars that they fought amongst their Asian neighbors. And I'm and I definitely yes. know that the Asian neighbors remember how the Japanese oh, were yeah. And are very oh, yeah. happy not to have them with a strong, uh, strong military. Yeah, that's <laughs> that is true. Yes, they were a formidable foe, and they did not operate on the same. Uh, yeah, set their ethics were different. I, than I ours. hate to use the moral guidelines of our warriors because that's pretty, uh, pretty dodgy. But uh, you know, some of the things they did and some of the massacres and the the. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Experimental uh, weapons. Hard to forget yeah. some of that stuff. The comfort women. Yeah, all of that. Pretty, pretty yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know they they kind of got a they kind of got a constitution forced on them. That was a, and they still got it. So yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I can I can see resentment there. I, I can I can see a I can see a resentment there. I can see a resentment for anybody else in the world. About the United States. So I get that. Oh, certainly, yes. I get, I get that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you can't, especially if, if the, it could be very possible that a lot of the general population don't know about the, some of the stuff that happened, mm-hmm. you know, 100 yeah. years ago with other countries uh, and might be rather shocked to learn what it was like. So, yeah. Anyways, back to Shin Ultraman. Let's see. So on the subject of hard drives, no backups in a completely closed air gap oh, system. We made a bad noise when I heard that. Oh, lucky hell. <laughs> you almost made a bad noise just then. Yeah. Uh, more editing bad. Yeah. No, I had no. Uh, so, um, yeah. I mean, fine. You want to you wanna have an air gap, I guess. I mean, we can make the... We can make the argument that if you have something that's incredibly sensitive and that it must not get out, then that is the way to make that work, right? I mean, that. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. You just can't get it. So there's nothing wrong with that. No backups. There is definitely something oh. wrong with that. Yeah. That's you a know, big another one right secure there. facility somewhere. Yes. That, that is, but is this really, is this really the kind of material that you would want to have that level of? security about i mean you're a force that's designed to fight monsters that are not saying it should be public knowledge but is this really to the level of air gapped no backups it it just didn't it just didn't Uh, the only way i could think that would fly is if they're discovering things about the monsters that they are uh, battling which 
could be beneficial for the nation in some financial gain sort of way. Uh, you know, maybe uh, they're discovering some basic science that they can somehow uh, uh, incorporate that into something where they can make industry a lot of money. I don't know. Let me keep the Chinese from getting it and uh, and stealing it. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Who knows? Let's see. Um, what did you think about the CGI of Zarab? Uh, I think one of the original concepts was that he was only supposed to be half a person. That was weird. I, a couple times it's like, is he only... Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Yes, hmm. he is. He's just yeah. the front. Obviously not possible with a man in a rubber suit, but I believe yeah. that was the It'd original concept artwork. Yeah. Was to, uh, have yeah, some it's, sort a, of it's an interesting look. And, and if you look online, you can find pictures of the... Uh, the, the bad guys, you know, full standing pictures of yeah. all characters on there. And they're, they're interesting costumes. And they're all basically instantly recognizable as their originals. Yeah. Yeah. I did find some you historic know. pictures. Even like, Zeton yeah. looks like the kaiju, which is, you know, makes sense when it looked like a big Jesus hanging in space there for a while. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, no, a lot of guys like say that. Yeah, like I said, I like the special effects. I, I I loved the the uh the the force perspective flying punching Ultraman that the, would fly towards the screen. Um yeah. I love that. Um you get to see that a number of times. And uh, yeah. Just you know, visually it was a really um I wanna say comic book, but obviously it wasn't a comic book. Just a uh, cartoonish sort of uh it, it definitely is keeping kind of in the spirit. Yeah. 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 It, that's Ultraman would be Ultraman if it weren't <laughs> the guy in a red suit, even though it's not a guy in a red suit. Exactly. Yeah. It pulls off the not a guy in a red suit thing perfectly. <laughs> um, I was going to say, I can see that uh, if somebody were to come up with a, uh, a vape pen that looked like a beta capsule, that yeah. Ultraman needs to transform, they would sell out in a second. <laughs> yeah. uh, Not I just hope. in Japan. I'm sure in the U.S. it would also be very popular. I hope. I hope Subaru. I, I know. Has... Yeah, I <laughs> hope not too, but who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Although, speaking of, speaking of morally questionable, <laughs> when Fuji, Fuji, when Asami is... Uh, transformed back Amazing. from giant and she is no. <laughs> comes out of the she comes out of the plastic covering she crawls her way out the line oh. Oh, i'm yeah. not even drunk why am i in plastic, plastic sheets, sheets. Oh, God. oh wow yeah what like, is your life like asami well she's in she was in intelligence for a while but somehow she got transferred to the uh, sssp hmm, i wonder why I I think if you're in intelligence, you should probably not be the kind of person who gets so drunk that you find yourself waking up in plastic sheets. One would say. I'm mm. not even sure what that means. You know? I, I mean, it's like, what is the significance of plastic sheets? It's that, a thing you... I don't know. I don't associate I, that with drunk people. I, I think... Corpses. And I'm going to go with this, is that it's an allusion to waking up... Uh, after getting 
gravely intoxicated and you're sleeping uh, rough out somewhere. Wait and a minute. Wait you a just minute. found a, a ground, you know, a, a plastic bag to cover yourself with. Wait a second. I what? think plastic sheets. I have some sort of vague recollection. Look, is this another? I may have read the, the series. I have this. And this could be completely illusory, in which case that I'm just I'm making this up on the spot. But I have this sort of vague recollection that there's a thing that the police in Japan do with drunk people on the street, which is to wrap them up. Oh, I wonder if that's what they use. I don't know. I I don't know where I would. I mean, I don't know where I would have gotten that idea if it hadn't been something a little drunk burrito comes to mind. Um, but uh, well. If not, and if it's not a real thing, may oh, I suggest my that to the police force of the world. All right, hold on here. The first instinct is not to reach for a gun. This is police uh, when they are encountering somebody who's uh, being violent. What they do are they get large futons and essentially roll the person up who's being violent or drunk into a little burrito and carry them back to the station to calm down. So you it's are futons. dead on correct. Yes. Futons, I remember. Yeah. I remember now. Futons. Yes. I've seen pictures of that. Basically, thin, very flexible mattresses. Oh, that's a brilliant idea, actually. Really good idea. Wow. Not to mention that you can stack them up a lot deeper in the drunk tank. Correct. Yeah, you can bind up a little bit of rope like and just roll them over yeah. somewhere. Carry them with a couple, uh, you know, hand truck, and you're done. Well, yeah. So that go. makes more sense. I, I can see that they might be covered in plastic, so they can be reused easily. Just hose them down, and you're done. done. Yeah, you don't want to, my God, urinate on them, let's say, exactly. ruin them. They're bound to be plastic. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, speaking of the uh, Ooh, speaking of Tommy, uh, we cannot uh, fail to mention that she apparently doesn't bathe as regularly as she should. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. And it's hoping you they get a bath. perform a, a rather uncomfortable sniff test on her. Uh, during oh, the yeah. course that goes on way too long, I gotta say. Yeah. That was uncomfortable for me too. I mean, I know she was standing there like, okay, Ultraman is sniffing me. Uh, yeah. He's memorizing one down. Either in the alternate universe dimension. Yeah, that was that was weird. But you know, it's Japan. And it got weirder because I don't know if you noticed, I mean, he goes up, right? He starts on one side around her shoulders, their neck, and her face, and then he goes down, down the other side, and eventually he's sniffing about crotch high on it. Yeah. yeah, as as he ends off, he's like, "Okay, I got it." Yeah, and then a little bit longer later in the episode, Mephila says to him, "Ultraman sniffing a woman to find the oh, beta yeah. capsule in the plank brain dimension. How licentious of you!" But yes. he says, "Hentai." <laughs> In Japanese, it's ah, uh, yeah, like okay, yeah. I, the stuff they're doing with Asami in this film is troubling, and they don't do it to anybody else. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, one thing there there is an episode. This is also a callback to the original series. There is an episode at one point uh, where the guy yeah. who makes the super weapons, whose name is moment in the original uh basically gives up he's like what's the point why am i he's of course he's talking to hayata who is the host of ultraman 
And he's it's like, what's the point of me making these guns? They never work. And then Ultraman comes along and saves us anyway. <laughs> right. I mean, we had that right, scene. Yeah. And it is kind of an important. Well, I, I, I could have seen I could have seen a, a better metaphor for the whole how Japan feels it is inferior to the United States in that in yeah. that allegory. Right. This is this is like we, we should be doing this on our own not relying on somebody else who's got more power than we do. But they never make a direct connection between that and all the other jabs they take at the United States or the, the Japan-United States relationship. In this one, then I think it feels more like they're taking a jab at, at maybe religion or, you know, just, oh, well, we've got a God. We might as well just let him sort it out. Right, well. What can we do? Yeah. So... um I can't believe they had Apple Vision Pro, though, all the way back. Uh, <laughs> he wouldn't have looked nearly so dorky if I could have seen his simulated eyes through the front of that. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, you know, they would have been large anime eyes. Uh, that was a PlayStation, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was a PlayStation logo on the side of it. That's what I thought. Is this? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I have anything else. Uh, no. Um, I was going to say, I don't either. Uh, it's just, you know, if you're a fan of Ultraman, definitely go see this. Or you yeah. go pick it up. One thing that differs between this and Ultraman is mm-hmm. a series. They never figured out who Ultraman was. Yes, I do remember that. And Hayata is separated by Zofie. Mm-hmm. And has no memory of being Ultraman. So when they end Ultraman, you know, Nobody has a clue. Although you'd think somebody would probably figure it out. It's like, okay, so you don't remember anything about Ultraman. <laughs> we all do, but you were there. Yeah. Weird. Does does Kaminaga remember? I don't I mean, know. Because, because they end this without him speaking another word. Right. Yeah. He opens his eyes alive and they're all looking at him and, and he's like, Yeah, there you are. It's like, does he even know that he Form was is he conscious of anything that happened between the time that he got killed at the beginning of the episode? Does he even know who Asami is because she came along after he was dead? You know, it's that part of it was unsatisfying. It's like, okay, yeah, they just, got their uh, friend back, or did they? I don't know. Um, okay. Well, um, uh, Shin Ultraman has been added to the uh, the collection of stuff. I will tell you that uh, at the end of May, the third and I believe final of these Shin films, Shin Kamen Rider, uh, was released. And uh, I've seen no evidence of it being released in the United States. It was it had a one day, one or two day run in theaters, um, which uh, I did get to see. But uh, I haven't seen any sign yet that they're going to release the disc. But if they do, we might. We might uh, take a stab at that one. That yeah, um, could be fun. It's different. <laughs> it's different. I have yeah, seen I, it. It's different. Yeah, I've watched a couple, uh, couple of the writer-based uh, series, few episodes here and there. So a little bit of familiarity with Who that. Who doesn't so, love yeah. a grasshopper-based cyborg? Exactly. I mean, a real crowd pleaser. Uh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> John, thank you for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash fusionpatrol or patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at fusionpatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. You can find some of our other works at soundcloud.com slash fusionpatrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we will be looking at the Galactica 1980 episode, Spaceball. And I have nothing to say to entice you to listen to that. Just, that's what it is. <laughs>